As we come with thankful hearts today, let us continue that spirit of thanksgiving throughout this day and for the rest of our lives as we look to those things for which we are to be thankful, thinking on those things which are pure and lovely and of good report, and that God will transcend our thinking there. We're remaining standing because we're about to turn to the text in Matthew 15, and we will read not only uh, the text for this morning, but I want to back us up into the context and reread that portion from last week as well. I'll begin reading at verse 1 through verse 20 as Jesus is here uh, dealing with a correction on one of the most important subjects that we can address, and that is the subject of defilement. What really defiles a man? And not only were the Pharisees confused with this, but the disciples were also a bit bewildered. But it comes right up to today that I dare say that we sometimes are confused ourselves about really defilement and how are we sanctified, what does it mean to be holy, Uh, and therefore Jesus' corrections then are just as applicable to us today. So let us hear the Word of God in faith as we now enter into listening with our hearts. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you may have received from me is a gift to God, Corban. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? For those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Father in heaven, give us your spirit to Bring the spiritual understanding and discernment to this word of truth that we might know the truth and the truth will set us free. 
that we can live with clean hands and a pure conscience and that we can go about in the freedom in which Christ has set us free and we can stand in that liberty obeying you in all of the commands that you have given us. How thankful we are for this corrective instruction and we pray that you would teach us now into our hearts the very truth and apply these things that we could go from here with greater joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last Lord's Day, we considered the first part of that, verses 1 through 9. When religion goes bad, and there's a couple of characteristics to look for when religion goes bad. Uh, that can even be applied to your own religion within an Orthodox congregation, or it can be applied to a corporate institution when religion has gone bad. Two ways that the Lord exposed when religion has gone bad, and he's doing this in the context of the first century Jews who had the Old Testament scriptures and the Torah and those things which God had given. But the first thing that he said, religion has gone bad when it goes against the teaching of scripture. When they began to displace the Scripture by their own tradition and by the externalities and these things. So religion goes bad when it replaces the teaching of Scripture. How important it is for pulpits to be strong with the Word and for preaching and teaching ministry of the Word and the whole counsel of God never to be minimized one little bit in our ministry. Number two, see, when that happens, when the Scripture begins giving place to men's tradition, it creates a religion and a way to worship God from a distance. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. When the people show up every Lord's Day and they go through the outward rituals of worship and they uh, acquiesce to some degree of what's going on in this context here, and then they leave church and they go through the whole form of this, but their hearts are not really with God. And so they leave church not to think any more about God until the next Lord's Day. And they come and they go through it again. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. And if that's true of you, if you leave here today and you just go about thinking, not thinking about God or the things of God until next Lord's Day, and you come here to kind of go through the ritual again, your heart is far from the Lord, even though you may honor Him with your lips in this setting for just a time. Now the Lord takes an opportunity created by the question of which these Pharisees had come all the way to Jerusalem to seek out the answer to, and He takes this opportunity to teach on the nature of defilement. And it's really important to understand because defilement has to do with our standing before God. An undefiled person may not enter into the presence of God. He cannot have a relationship with God. The profane cannot come in contact with the holy. So this is really uh, an essential truth that the people of God and we have to understand. So much of today when I hear of people battling problems in their life, they are so slow to consider that the problem they may be having is rooted deep in their hearts. 
And that is why when we talk about the doctrines of grace and the the purity of the gospel, the very first place that we start is this, this presupposition that man is totally depraved. And if you do not understand that man is totally depraved and all his faculties have been been touched with the depravity of the fallenness of man, then you're not going to seek the remedy of the gospel of grace that can be the remedy indeed. I am very quick to acknowledge when people are seeking for the truth and they have problems going on in their life and they may have a mental problem going on, I am the first to tell them that I have a mental problem too. I have mental sickness that comes from a desperately sick heart. I've got problems in my cognitive thinking. I cannot process things very well. I cannot process them truthfully. In fact, I I speak lies, and I go about lying, and sometimes I believe those lies. See, you do that too. We all have mental problems. We all have physical problems. We all have spiritual problems. We have image problems, and pride problems, and self-esteem problems, and problems that radiate from all these things, and yet we have problems. And this is not at all to discount how... Uh, doctors can be helpful to us, but it is to discount when we first look to them as the solution to our problem. Last Lord's, or actually just yesterday, wonderful um, news that we were getting from some of the, the prayer reports of our churches and our sister church, Reformation Church in, in um, Elizabeth, Colorado, brought a praise that two women in their church had been miraculously healed from cancer supernaturally. You see, we give praise and glory to God, even if He uses doctors. But even the doctors in these two particular situations were confounded. See? Defilement is a really big issue. It's uh, it's something that we don't quite understand all the way, or at least the, the Pharisees didn't, the disciples, and I'm not quite sure that we all have it together, or at least consistently thought through in our own lives. So we think about defilement. It does not come into the presence of the holy. In fact, in Revelation 21, 27, it says that by no means in the new heavens and earth, there will be nothing there that defiles. So it's important for us to understand, what does it mean to be holy? How are we to be sanctified? How are we to be cleansed? How can we come into the presence of God? Are you presently now in a state of undefilement for God, before God? Are you, are you paying lip service to God, but your heart is far from Him? Do you understand the heart issue? And so important is this concept and the vast misconceptions about food and diet and what goes into the mouth and that Jesus summons the crowd in verse 10. He says, no, no, he actually leans into them and he brings them in for a teaching moment. And that's what it says in verse 10 as he, he then brings the multitude, he calls them to himself so that he can correct a misconception 
that they had about defilement. And the first thing he does is he basically teaches something very general. He's going to come back around to uh, in another point, but the first, just very generally, and he says in verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the man, out of the mouth, this defiles the man. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. It is what comes out of the mouth that defiles the man. See, the point is this, that nothing that enters the mouth of man physically can defile a man spiritually. Nothing that goes into the mouth of man physically can defile the man spiritually. That would have been absolutely astounding for the first century Jews to hear. And I wonder if everybody's conscience today is really settled on that point. This is laying down a principle for all time. First century Jews would have been been groomed and grown up and catechized on the, the clean and the unclean animals and what they could eat and what they could not eat. This was in the Torah, and he gave them these dietary restrictions, and even well-meaning people have, even today, have tried to go back and they try to find personal health reasons or hygiene reasons for why God gave them those dietary restrictions. There have been all kinds of fad diets that have come out of these kinds of things. Folks, the Bible does not address this as a health reason or a hygiene reason. It simply says, you do this because I am holy and you also are to be holy. And as we are so prone to do, we tend to miss the main point in these illustrative object lessons that God gives us even through the course of history and the ceremonial law. It was never the case, ever the case, when God gave them the dietary restrictions that they would be holy or become holy by restricting something in their diet. That was never the case. He commanded them to do this and observe these things, and the law that he was commanding them was illustrative and an object lesson of something of a greater point. It was just the illustration. But it was not efficacious for making them holy or undefiled because they withdrew from some foods and partook of others. It has never been the case that whatever goes into the mouth of man defiles him spiritually. It's never been that way. Now he has to bring a second correction here, beginning at verse 12 and 14. I actually find verse 12 to be very humorous. Right? Look at it. Then his disciples came to him. You could probably know who's speaking for the disciples here. We don't know this, but Peter is often the spokesman for the disciples, and given his impetuous and somewhat spontaneous spirit, <laughs> Jesus, do you know that what you just said offended the Pharisees? I just find that humorous. 
It's not the first time, and it's not the last time he's going to do that. But for some reason, one of the disciples, or the disciples come to him and says, you have just offended them. I just, I think that's funny. But he answered, he says, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the pit or the ditch or another scripture is the be cast out into the dark abyss. So Jesus has another opportunity here to correct a misunderstanding. These were the religious leaders of, of the Jews. These were the Pharisees. These were ones that were the leaders of some of those leaders because they were sent as delegates from Jerusalem to find out of this aberrant teaching of our Lord regarding the washing of the hands, much less even the foods that they ate. But we could also today insert pastors and teachers and seminary professors and whatever the religious leaders are today. And if they take issue with what Jesus just said, there's a big problem. And so Jesus gives them a three-point reply. In verse 13, he says, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. You can almost hear this echoing back to the tares in the wheat parable. And what Jesus is referring to is a spiritual state of everyone described like that. He that my Father has not planted. Now the implication is that the Father has planted some. So he plants, and some he hasn't planted. But those he hasn't planted will be uprooted and cast away. They will be taken up and done with, dealt with. But the ones that God does plant, they are living plants. And the point is, if these leaders, these Pharisees, if these seminary professors, if these pastors and teachers today, if they take issue with what Jesus just taught, then they are not planted by God. No matter what degree he has, no matter how many letters he has behind the name, no matter what their credentials are, if he's teaching contrary to what Jesus is saying here, he's not planted by God. The second thing is, at the end of verse 13, he reveals the fate of those who are contradicting his very teaching. They're going to be uprooted. They are removed from among God's people. God will not have that false shepherd speaking falsehood among his true flock, who hear his voice, who know his truth. And ultimately, that one in that state will be cast into outer darkness. So while they go through the forms of religion and worship, while they go through all the ritual washings and the right way to do it, their hearts are truly far from the Lord. And so they don't listen to Him. They don't hear Him. They don't get His instruction. They don't hear the correction. The third part of His response to His disciples then comes in verse 14, when he says, you know, these do not know the truth, nor those who follow them. Verse 14, let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. They're both going to fall. And the followers of such teachers do not have the spiritual insight because they do not know the truth. But Jesus has declared that if these are truly my sheep, they will hear my voice 
I know them and am known by my own. And they will hear my voice and they will follow me wherever I go. There is a spiritual discernment that the Spirit of God has put into everyone that they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. This is a supernatural work. Now, there is an application here that if you come under teaching that contradicts what Jesus is saying about spiritual definement, run away from those teachers. Run away from those books. Run away from those sermons. Run away from, from those YouTube presentations or those documentaries or from the TV channel that has them up there. Run away from those teachings lest you fall with them. Because what goes in the mouth physically does not defile a man spiritually. He comes to the third point, which now he's going to circle back around and, and clarify what he did, what he spoke on generally uh, at, er, earlier in the passage. He comes back around now and he handles it by expanding that first point. And here I want to borrow a couple of verses from Mark because Mark is helpful. Mark, again, is speaking to the Gentiles a lot of things that the Jews already took for granted. Okay? So Mark says in the same passage, the parallel passage in Mark 7, I'll just read it. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated thus purifying all foods what goes into the mouth does not enter his heart that's the key we get the issue of defilement the issues of holiness the issue of purity the issue here is it's not what goes into the mouth that is eliminated through the stomach and the natural. It is what doesn't go into the heart, see? Now we need to make a distinction for clarity's sake here regarding what some people would call meat from those passages like 1 Corinthians 8 and and 9 and Romans 14, when we're speaking even of meat that's offered to idols, and, and for those who, whose consciences are weak, would stay away from those kinds of things. And while it is clear, even from Romans 14, that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about peace and holiness and love and the Holy Spirit. But some have conscience issues because of the association with such foods. They are called weak, and they are not quite understanding true defilement. Because there is such a strong belief associated with the pagan gods from which they have been delivered, that it's hard to disassociate the foods that they ate that were sacrificed and given to the idols because they were in a, a, a sacramental communion with them, so to speak. The food itself is not which defiled because it goes into the stomach. It doesn't go into the heart. It's the heart that's the issue with defilement, not the stomach. But if the thing that I am talking about 
influences the heart, then it's not meat I'm talking about any longer. Can we understand that? We have to be clear about that. Meat doesn't influence the heart. But if we're eating something that does have an influence on the heart, we're no longer in a conversation about the meat. Food can influence the heart. What goes into the mouth physically cannot defile him spiritually. And Jesus is actually at this moment in Matthew, in chapter 15, he's actually declaring all foods clean. Well, how can he do that? Did not God say? And But the very God that said is the very God standing before them and saying, it is all clean. And He is literally the Lord God of heaven who gave the law for a particular illustration. The illustration is now finished and complete, so therefore no more need for that. It is not an area of defilement that has always been confused, He's saying. Don't place your emphasis there. It is not what goes into the man physically that can corrupt him spiritually. Paul addresses this over again. He has to do that several times. He has to address it with the church at Colossians, with their Gnostic teaching. Do not let any man judge you in meat or drink, which has a, a false sense of religion, but it's deceptive. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith and give heed or listen to deceiving spirits, and the doctrines of demons on these very kinds of things. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. See, it's not what goes in here. Don't be sucked into any teaching that would cause a conscience issue because of something you eat or drink. Avoid the doctrines that are associated with the demons. If it is influencing your heart in some contrary way or, or a problem with the conscience, what we're talking about is not meat and drink at that point. We're talking about something else. So make sure you make this discernment. And work this thing out. But the things that defile, let's get down to that. We've said what it's not, but what is it that defiles? Verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man. It's not what goes in the mouth, it's what comes out of the mouth. And what a man speaks with his tongue, that's what defiles him. Why is that? Why is it that what I speak with my mouth is what is defiling? Oh, would to God we would understand this. Well, I didn't mean that. 
That was just an innocent comment. I was just joking. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear what they did? Did you hear what they said? I can't believe. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, don't take what I say so seriously. Well, it didn't happen exactly that way, but you got the point. Nothing wrong with a little white lie. It was the point I was making. Where do things like that come from that we tend to marginalize? And we tend to make what's big, those things which go into our mouth, which is such a big deal, and we minimize those things which come out of the mouth, which is really the big deal. Those are the things that defile a man because they come from the heart. From what the heart is, the mouth speaks from the heart are the issues of life, the Scripture says. Words that come out of your mouth proceed from the heart. And you can learn so much about yourself if you only tune in to what you say. Listen to yourself. What comes out of your mouth? The heart, not the stomach, is where the issue of defilement is addressed. The heart is where holiness and a pure conscience emerge. The issue is not what acts upon me externally from my environment or what I'm taking in from, my, from, from the food into my mouth, but what emerges from me internally that governs how I respond or react to my external environment. See, it's not this way, it's this way that defiles a man. It is an issue of our heart. But even our heart will always find external applications and outlets that demonstrate what is true about it. And the most common one is the, the speech, the words, or the tone, or the disposition, or the thoughts that were just reined in, but the thought came. Notice the kind of things that emerge out of the heart through the mouth. Verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These all deal with violations of the moral law of God. In just a summarily quick sentence, Jesus just addressed. It is not external rituals that make you clean or unclean. It is obeying God's laws that make you clean and disobeying God's laws that make you unclean. It has to do with our disposition to the moral law. Jesus is not putting a dichotomy between internals and externals, by the way, or between spirit and body either. What Jesus is doing, he's teaching you that you are already defiled. He's not teaching you to change something externally. He's saying that you have a defiled heart. And that's where all of the issues of life spring. And that's why these words come out of defilement. Because it's what springs from your heart are the transgressions of God's law. It is where we start here. 
Did you know you can even do a right thing but do it with the wrong motive and it's still sin? Even the plowing of the wicked is sin. But even the wrong motive or a lack of love and even doing a good thing is still a sinful act before God because of the defiled heart from which it sprang. We see even evil thoughts that come into our mind. Jesus is going right to the very heart of uncleanness, right to the heart of defilement. And this is what people have a hard time accepting. The starting point for the world is that man is good or at best, he's starting off neutral. But the Bible would have would refute that and says the starting point for man is wicked, defiled, heinous, at enmity with God through his wicked works, and the starting point before, with man before God is absolutely depraved. You are a God-hater. The best of the moral men and all the ones who can dress themselves up nicely and even do good things are still at best wicked and defiled before God. Can you receive that? Oh, well, look how good he is. Look how kind he is. Look, he, he, look at his house is in order. Look at this. You're looking at the externalities. God looks upon the heart. And the heart is where defilement comes from. Man is bent on sin. He is bent against God in the sin. And when he's known the truth, he suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. And he's not thankful to his Creator. The problem is a heart issue, and it will never be cured by external ritual, and it will never be defiled by food or drink. The indicator of the heart is the communication that springs forth from it. James 3.6 says, The tongue that is set among our members, that it defiles the whole body. The tongue defiles the whole body. And is set on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. It's a heart. And he, so Jesus concludes, see, these are the things that defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands? That doesn't defile a man. He broke with the traditions of the elders this occasion so that he could bring this point of the nature of the human heart to bear showing that the only solution to man's problem is through the divine power itself and the saving power of Jesus Christ to change that wicked heart and to bring new life into the person, to give man regeneration through the Spirit of God, to set him on a course that is now appreciating God and thanking God and, and embracing God from his heart, not to just give lip service to God on the Lord's day, but to have an all-inclusive life that is the Lord's because his whole nature of his heart has been changed. If you've never been changed from the inside out, you're defiled, you're unfit for the presence of God. And no matter of how many times you come here, it's not going to change that. No matter how many times you get on your knees or raise your hands, it's not going to change that. It's got to come from here. Only Jesus can make you clean. 
You call upon Him to save you and to cleanse you from your filthy, good, no good, rotten, stinking heart. And if you call upon Him, it's exactly what He does. And He changes that heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He cleanses that heart to make it pure and, and now love in a way that you've never known before. But Christian, I want to challenge all of us here today. I want you to listen to your heart. What comes out of your mouth? That's an indicator of what is the true in your heart. Do you gossip about others? Do you have words that come out of your mouth that make others look bad or depreciated in some way? What comes out of your mouth, is it a teasing that puts others down in order to elevate yourself? Is what comes out of your mouth something of finding fault with other people and a, a, a negative criticism or judgment that is always putting others down or finding faults in order to make yourself feel a little more satisfied or a little more holy? Is what comes out of your mouth falsehood? Is it absolute truth? Or there's some deceitful, misleading words in there? Are there words of envy that comes out? Envious words. Where you're, you're displeased because of somebody else's success. Are the words that you speak those that make others look bad? in the presence of others, or just sound bad? Or is the words that comes out of your mouth something that tries to make yourself look good? Listen to your words because they proceed from your heart. If you're going to boast in anything, God says only boast in one thing, for you can only boast in one thing, and that is Jesus and Him crucified. Whatever you've received... Whatever is any good, it's because of the grace that He's given you. So listen to your words, because they proceed out of your heart. They're an indicator of what's going on inside of you. They indicate where you are in your sanctifying process. And you need to be more concerned about what you hear yourself say than what you consider to be your diet what you put in your mouth, what you put in and what you drink, or you need to be more concerned with the words that you hear yourself say than what other people eat and drink. Listen to not only what you say, but listen to how you say it. Listen to the heart behind the words, the tone, the motive. Analyze and listen to your heart. Wives, listen to yourselves and how you talk about your husbands. How you talk to your husbands. Husbands, listen to yourselves and how you talk about your wives or how you talk to your wives. Children, about your parents and parents with children. And, and are we constantly finding fault with our authorities? 
Listen to what comes out of your mouths today about your neighbor, about those around you, about your Christian brother and sister. Listen to what comes out of your mouth and then hear what that says and then analyze it. And repent of the wickedness of the heart and ask God to cleanse it and change what comes out of your mouth to be consistent with a purified heart of love for God and love for the neighbor. You talk negatively about people behind their backs. Do you gossip? Do you accuse God's people of wrongdoing or find fault with them and speak on those wrong things? What, you, what they have done may be true, but then as soon as you go speaking about it, you're just as guilty. And let me encourage you here. You're not going to stop this sinful activity of the heart or in your thoughts simply by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You're not going to self-discipline this work that requires supernatural grace to overcome and defeat in your life. This will take an act of God. This is an act of grace. And yet sanctification is that. It is the supernatural work of the Spirit of God applying the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to your hearts so that from your hearts, from glory to glory, they shine forth in greater holiness, in greater awareness, in greater gratitude, in greater purity. God has given you a means of grace. Right now we're engaged in one of them, the Word of God. The sacraments are another. Prayer is another. And it's going to require all of these means to overcome that which you battle in your flesh. You're not just going to self-discipline yourself out of this. The enemy is too strong. Your own heart is deceptive, and you don't even know your own heart, and the, the, the level of its depravity. But God, who is greater in you, and he that is in the world, will overcome by his grace as you call upon him, as you fall upon your knees, as you confess your sins of which your mouth has revealed and the state of your heart that needs to be changed because we need Christ to overcome. We need Christ. I need Christ to defeat this enemy from within. And you need Christ to defeat your enemy from within. Only he can overcome that enemy. And I'm talking to Christians here now. Call on him to save you from all this defilement and to cleanse you in the blood of Jesus today. He sees you as already clean. He sees you and declares you to be righteous. But we know we have a long ways to go in our sanctification. While he sees you as glorified, we yet press on toward the mark. We do not think that we have already attained it, as the passage in Philippians chapter 3 would go on to say, but we continue to press on and we move toward that high calling in Christ. Let us take heed today. and Let us find the true solution for true defilement in the way that Christ corrects our error.
Our gracious Father, we thank you for this message of the heart and pray that you would square us up with the truth and may we find the grace in Christ to overcome the enemy within. And we pray you would lavishly apply the Spirit into our lives and the power of the Spirit and take the blood of Jesus Christ and cleanse us from all of our sins and empower us to walk faithfully in trusting Him to defeat our enemies of our heart and those around us. And Lord, we pray that You would take the victory and take the glory, for we have nothing to boast of but You. And we will boast of You, and we will praise You, and we will give You thanks, because we know the true power of our salvation is only in You. So save us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.